Amen. You may be seated. Uh, good morning. It is uh, my privilege to introduce our speaker for this morning, uh, Reverend George Robertson. Uh, George is a Covenant College alum. He has uh, yeah, two master's degrees from Covenant Seminary and his uh, PhD from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Uh, he is the current pastor of Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and previously served as pastor of First Pres in Augusta for 12 years. He is a faithful servant of the, peace, of the church and of the PCA, serving in many capacities, including moderator of the General Assembly. He has a deep history with the college where he served as a trustee advisor and vice chairman of the board of trustees. He is passionate about racial diversity and the multi-ethnic body of Christ. And it was a great encouragement to me to hear him talk about that this morning uh, at breakfast. He and his wife, Jacqueline, have four children, including our um, attacking midfielder, Anna Robertson. <laughs> If you would, please give a warm Scots welcome to Reverend George Robertson. Well, good morning, Covenant. What a great privilege it is to be here in this place, on this campus that has transformed my life. Uh, this education I received here is daily influential in my life. I could go on about that, but there is not a day in my vocation, in my family uh, nurture, and even my recreation that uh, covenant does not somehow figure in to bringing life and grace and insight into my life. It is an education as my friend uh, Sarah Drexler often says, it's an education that never goes out of date. It always remains relevant. And there are two formative experiences I had in this place that I want to wrap around this sermon for you, this message. And um, I hope that God uses it for encouragement in your life too. One occurred in this very spot. Uh, I was a student. John A. Cuff was a graduate of a program we had then called Quest. It was a degree completion program where, for whatever reason, if your uh, college degree had been interrupted, you could come back to Covenant and you could finish your degree. He was going to graduate. He was going to walk with us, now that I think about it, as I was a senior. He was going to walk with us in that graduation. He was here to give a testimony of how the Lord had worked in his life. And he explained that there was not a day in his earliest formation as a child that he could not remember his father telling him that he hated him. His father and his family told him daily, you are a mistake, we resent the air you breathe, we didn't plan on you, you're consuming undue resources from us, we wish you were not alive. He shuffled from one family member to another to another. Nobody wanted him. Eventually, he believed what they told him. He thought nobody wanted him. He belonged away from everybody. Somehow, he found shelter in an abandoned car in the middle of a field. Eleven years old, he was homeless, living in this abandoned car. 
And one day, sitting at the steering wheel of the car, he thought, maybe I really am as worthless as everybody tells me, and I don't deserve to live. Somehow there was a Bible in that car. He pulled it out, he let it fall open, just fell open to Romans 8. And he started reading. You have not been given a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but a spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. And if sons, heirs also, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. Somehow there was a little footnote in that Bible that explained that Abba is a very special, intimate term for God. So John Acuff said, God, if you'll be my daddy, I won't tell nobody. Because I wouldn't want to embarrass you like I've embarrassed everybody else in my family. He said that God spoke to him as really as if he had shouted in his ear. From his word, he shouted to him, John, I want everybody to know you are my, you, that you are my child. I want everybody to know I'm your daddy because that's the way I get my glory. He told that story right here. I've never forgotten it. He was describing a doctrine that we learned in Christian doctrine, that you learn in Christian doctrine. It's a subset of the doctrine of union with Christ, which is part of the Ordo Salutis. And the explanation is that when Christ unites you to himself through faith, you are, you are justified, you are definitively sanctified, you are adopted. We learn that doctrine. But maybe you, like I can at times reduce that doctrine to something that is merely intellectual or just something that's an analogy for the way God loves us. Let me just describe this to you, you think the Bible says. Let me give you an, an analogy. It's like you're a child and God's your father, but that's not the way the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches it the way John understood it. The Bible teaches Paul in particular explains that our adoption as sons of God was the goal of our election, is the goal of our election. It's the point. God does not merely want to make you legally righteous. He does want to do that. He doesn't merely want to save you so that you escape hell and you can go to heaven. God wants you to be a son. Now, I'm not being disrespectful to the sisters here. I'm just speaking like Paul does because he says to the sisters as well as the brothers in the church, he wants you to be a son because he wants you to be an heir. And in their world, they weren't accustomed to daughters being heirs. God is saying to you, sisters and brothers, in Christ, I want you to be my child and I want to, I will love you as much as I love my son and I can no more unlove you than I can unlove my son. 
Jesus came to give that same message. He said, I want you, I've come to reveal the Father to you. I want you, when you pray to God, I want you to talk to Him like I do. Our Father. And yet we have this tendency, don't we, to reduce that beautiful relationship to a scholastic doctrine and remove ourselves from the intimacy of a relationship with God in fear of Him. That's the, the patristics were the same. The patristics, just in a century within, within Jesus teaching us how to pray, the patristics had quit using the Lord's Prayer. And when they did use the Lord's Prayer, they would preface it with this prayer, O God, with joy and without presumption, help us to use Your holy name in an appropriate way when we say, Our Father. My friends at Covenant College, I want you to know this morning that God loves you. God loves you so much, He has dedicated a whole person of the Trinity to convince you of it. I'm not so deluded as to think that there might be someone here who doesn't know Christ in a personal way. I went to school with those who came to Christ or who never came to Christ or came to Christ afterwards and I want you to know that Christ has his arms open wide to you this morning and says I want you to come be reconciled with my father for the rest of you I want you to remember God wants you to remember God wants you to realize that any other spirit in you but the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Any other spirit of slavery or fear. It may have a million other explanations. It may be your parents. It may be your, your own addictions. It may be your past. It may be what somebody has told you. It may be some tape that you're replaying in your mind. It may be any number of sources that are producing slavery and fear in you. But those spirits are not from God the Father. They may have a million other explanations, but one cannot be that God is insisting that you remain in fear. God's Spirit is a spirit of adoption saying, call me Abba, Father. And I have given my Spirit to help you and to convince you that I love Not only does God want you to know that doctrine, not only does He want you to know that truth, He has, as I've said, dedicated a whole member of the Trinity whose job it is to seal that knowledge to you, to convince you of it. To convince you of it subjectively, to convince you of it emotionally, to convince you of it viscerally. All of those words tend to make us a little nervous as Presbyterians. But Presbyterians, Calvinists have long believed, as Calvin did, that the, the gospel we have is a gospel of adoption and God wants you to know that you know that you're a child of God. He wants to convince you that He loves you. The old theologians had a way of describing that. They called it sealing. We could quibble about the way they, they came to that term. But those old theologians, and for you overachievers, you can, 
You can read about that in Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on Romans 8.16. He preached 114 pages on that verse. And um, uh, he collected in those 114 pages uh, numerous testimonies of people across the ecclesiastical spectrum for whom, to whom, God the Spirit sealed the understanding that God loved them as a child. Just one story is about Hal Harris, who was a, a revivalist in Wales in the late uh, 1700s. And Hal Harris heard the gospel preached on Palm Sunday, 1735. The next Sunday on Easter, he came to faith in Christ. And then later on Whit Sunday or Pentecost, he was reading his Bible in a, in a church tower, and God met him in a powerful way through the Spirit and convinced him viscerally, emotionally, that God loved him. Eleven years later, Listen to how he records it. Eleven years later in his journal, on the anniversary of that experience in the tower, he wrote these brief lines. He said, e uh, Palm Sunday, 1735, Romans 8.15a, the spirit of slavery and fear. Easter, 1735, Romans 8.15b, the spirit of adoption. Whit Sunday. 1735, sealed to the day of redemption. There's some commonalities in those experiences through church history, like those assurances come from often from reading Scripture. Sometimes they come by praying specifically, God, seal to me that you love me. Oftentimes it comes as a very merciful surprise, as it did for me. I can see from this pulpit the exact spot where the Spirit met me on the plaza in 1985 and sealed to my heart that the Father loves me. I came to this college with a spirit of slavery and fear. And I lived for the first half year, three quarters of the year, in a spirit of slavery and fear. Thinking if I just worked harder, God would be pleased with me. Thinking if I could just keep up my self-discipline, God would be pleased with me. If I could just do something heroic and make a string of perfect grades, God would love me more. And then God mercifully pulled the rug out from under me where I couldn't keep up that delusion of self-righteousness. And so I was coming from class in Sanders Hall on the prophets taught by Paul Gilchrist. And we had finally come. He had made us memorize Exodus 34, 6 earlier in the year. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and mercy. He had made us memorize it. And he said, I'm not going to tell you why I'm having you memorize it. Because we'll find out at the end of the semester. The end of the semester came with the teaching of Jonah. We got to Jonah 4, verse 2. And he said, here's why I had you memorize it. Because I want you to understand that the God of the Old Testament is a God of grace. He's a Father who loves you.
I was wobble-kneed by the time I came up to the plaza and the Spirit met me there. There I can see it. And he sealed to my heart and mind, George, the cross was for you. I've paid for all your sins. There's nothing you can do to add to that, to subtract from that. George, I love you as a father. George Robertson, not only do I love you, I actually like you. Not only do I like you, I rejoice over you with singing. There have been days when I've doubted that, but I've never forgotten it. God is eager for you not just to know that He loves you in Christ, but to feel it. There's a great preacher named Fred Craddock who taught homiletics for many years. He finished teaching preachers how to preach uh, at uh, Candler School of Theology in his career. That's where he completed his career. And Fred Craddock told me once about an experience he had as a new professor, a relatively young pastor. He was teaching at the time at Phillips University in um, Oklahoma City. He and his wife wanted to take a vacation, so they drove all the way to the eastern part of the state and were touring around up in the, in the mountains above Gatlinburg. They were eager to get away from people. They needed a break from people. They wanted a vacation where they could just focus on each other. So they were driving around. They found this quaint little tavern on the side of the road. They went in there to get a a burger, and they went to the very back corner of the place. It was kind of dark. They thought, here we can have a secluded uh, private dinner uh, between ourselves. No sooner had they been seated than the proprietor of the place, shock of white hair, came, wheeled his chair around, propped it up against the table, and said, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? They, with some dread, started to answer his question, and then Craddock said, I think I know how to get rid of this guy. I'll tell him what I do. I'm a pastor. That's usually a conversation killer. I'm a pastor. And then I teach homiletics. And the proprietor said, you teach preachers how to preach. I want to tell you a story about a preacher who made a difference in my life, he said. I grew up, he said, just over the mountain. My mom had me out of wedlock. Everybody knew it. The boys at school on the playground had very unkind names that they called me. Nobody ever let me forget how I came into this world. And so I slinked around in the town trying to avoid notice and avoid attention. But I did go to church he said, when I was 12 years old, I would slip into the back of the church and then I would exit just in, right before the benediction so that nobody would notice me. But this time, we, he said, when I was 12, we got a new preacher. And that preacher changed up the order of things and he tricked me. And instead of giving the benediction from the front, he gave the benediction from the back and he blocked the door so I couldn't get out. And as the stream of people are going out, he said, this giant man, this preacher 
put, reached over, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Hey, I know you. And they said, I, I couldn't believe the preacher would mock me in front of everybody else. Everybody knew who I was. Everybody knew how I came into the world. He said, I, I know you. You bear a family resemblance to somebody I know. Oh. I know you. You're a child of God. Now go out and be who you are. He said, that one sentence transformed my life. He left the table. They later discovered he was Ben Hooper, who served twice as the governor of this state, well, Tennessee. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know you, and I know most of you, the children of God, go out and be who you are, praying all the while that God in His kindness would seal to your heart the spirit of adoption. Let me pray for you. Our dear, dear Father, thank you for initiating our salvation. It was you who so loved the world that you sent your only begotten and darling Son that we might believe in him and have eternal life. Please, Lord, fall on this special place with power and full conviction and convince your children that you love them. Bring those who don't know you as a father because they don't know Christ yet. They said the words on a college entrance application, but it's not a reality in their hearts. Draw them this very day. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Please fall on us with power this day and seal us to the day of redemption. In Jesus' name. And God's people said together, Amen. Praise God.